Welcome to this Art of the Frame podcast on Pro Video Coalition. On this episode, we talk about Lego Masters. If you don't know Lego Masters, it's a fun reality Lego building competition show on Fox. It's hosted by Will Arnett. I sit down with two of the editors from the show, Carl Kimbrough and Sarah Scotty. We talk about things like dealing with the massive amounts of footage they have to capture the show, Frankenbiting, working with story editors, and a whole lot of stuff about competition reality post-production. This week's podcast is brought to you by Massive. It's the fastest way to send and receive massive video files. Send uncompressed dailies, locked pictures, DCPs, and more with Massive. Keep listening. You'll hear how you can receive 100 gigabytes for free towards your next transfer. Now on with the discussion about Lego Masters. Welcome to another Art of the Frame podcast. I'm Scott Simmons, and today I'm sitting down with two editors for what has to be one of my uh, favorite current shows, maybe one of my favorite shows ever, especially if my children were uh, talking here. And then we're talking about Lego Masters. Lego Masters is in its second season on Fox. And if you don't know about Lego Masters, I'm shocked that you're on the planet. But it is a Lego competition building show that if you've ever touched Legos, you will be amazed at what you see on Lego Masters. So look it up. So I'm here with two folks. Sarah Scotty is an editor who has worked on the show, as is Carl Kimbrough, who's worked on the show, I think, since the very beginning. Thank you both for joining me here for uh, this afternoon chat. Awesome. Thanks for having us. Yeah, for sure. So I'll start with you. You uh, Have you been on both seasons or just the second season? Um, I did work on both seasons. I worked for a very short short time on season one kind of just came in at the end to sort of pick up some of the some of the slack and sort of help out at the very end to bring it to the finish line but uh second season was definitely like where I got to really dig my teeth in very nice and Carl what about you you're uh you are a supervising editor so I assume you're telling everybody all the other editors what to do the role of supervising editor has changed so much in the last 10 years but first off I've been on the show thankfully I got on day one uh, last season, and I was also the per- last person on at the end. And then same with this season. Even though I was going to wrap up three weeks ago, we wound up extending. And now I'm literally the last person on again with the same person I was last on last time. That's like, you know, from the bitter beginning to the bitter end. But yeah, supervising role on these shows, like sometimes you'll be on a show, on a reality show where a supervising editor is actually active, but sometimes it's just sort of like where you get on first and you're setting the look and the format and creating the toolbox and the kit to try to make it easier for everybody to work with. Um, if you're in person, not remotely, you do have sometimes gatherings and meetings and just share how we can do it better and how to do the graphics in and out, et cetera. Are you mentioned remotely? Are you working remotely on this show? I guess first season probably was a lot of remote. How has the remote world and the pandemic factored into both season one and season two? First season was not remote. Uh, We were in the office. Second season's been entirely remote. And uh, it's worked out really well. I mean, you know, we've got a lot of editors, a lot of producers, and, uh, you know, we're somehow able to make TV seamlessly, which is you know, partly been shocking, but also, I guess, a testament to everybody and, you know, the professionalism of everyone we're working with, because I feel like we didn't even miss a beat. Um, But yeah, we just, uh, we pretty much were, took home drives with incredible amounts of footage on it. And, uh, you know, we keep in communication with Slack (laughs) and email and whatnot, and pretty much just continue to keep the ball rolling from home. I feel like it's gone pretty smoothly. 
to add to that, I mean, the the beginning of the pandemic, we were in we were on Lego Masters um, and uh, we got shut down the last two weeks before we were wrapped on Lego and uh, at an emergency, they packed up the entire series. And I mean, everything onto these portable drives that are about 112 terabytes. They put the whole season on it and we took it home with us and we have it now at our ho- our home offices as well. Right now, as I'm talking to you, I'm actually at the Avid Bay I cut this season on and to my right is that giant tower. You know, I think you're right that a lot of people realize they have to uh, use the word pivot. We hear the word pivot a lot. They had to pivot to be able to continue doing what they do and producing entertainment when the pandemic hit. And it's really amazing to see how much, how different things have been, but yet the the show goes on as they, um, as they must yeah. say. Yeah. Now you guys mentioned um, lots of footage. And that's one of the first things I wanted to get into is about the amount of footage that must be captured to produce this show. Because when I started watching the first season and they started doing some of these builds, I thought, oh, they're going to get a few hours to build one of these creations. But yet here you have six, eight teams that are given 12 hours to build this creation that they're working on, which means you've got multiple cameras roaming around for large amounts of times, possibly stationary cameras capturing each table. Uh, just Carl, maybe start with you. Speak a little bit into how much footage is captured and how do they capture that much stuff to be able to, to uh, produce this show. This was shot a little bit faster than last season, but they actually shoot over three days to, for a build. And um, what happens is they'll do the hours that they're given, but because of all the preamble, setting up, wrapping each day, they really get about, I think, between three to four and sometimes a little higher hours a day to build. Then they have to wrap. Wait, hold on. So you're telling me television's a little bit faked? <laughs> so here's how it works. <laughs> Collectively 12 hours. Where's the Where's my the, the, the person to make sure I say the right things? That's Sarah. Yeah. So they, so basically, yeah, it's, it's like with any of these uh, shows, they do have to break it up. And so they break it up over, cause you have to have lunch breaks and dinner breaks and everything like that. So it's basically you, you say, okay, start, you have 12 hours. They do as much as they can that day. Then they'll pick it up the next day. And then typically on this one, the next day they'll also uh, finish. So it's over two days on most of these builds. But the allotted hours you see at the front is accurate. Do you think a lot of them are going home and taking out the bricks they have at home and sort of thinking about, oh, here's what we've got to build. We started here. We're gonna we're gonna engineer <laughs> something in our in our in our apartment and then recreate it the next day. I'm sure they've got to be doing that. No, you know, I, I'm sure they can think about it some. You know, but the but they are bubbled up and they get a little bit of extra time to think about things. Sure, I never even actually thought about that. Do you said that? <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, you do shoot over two days and they aren't, they cannot be in the, the room to build in the meantime, but there's a lot of footage. So that's the crazy part. We have about how many cameras, Sarah, what do you think? I'd say, well, there's yeah, maybe 10 or 11 plus the table cameras. Yep. So there's, so the, in last season there was even more this season, they didn't use as many cameras because of COVID, but the, they just couldn't they want to keep the crew a little bit more lean from what I understand, but they have a lot. We have 11 cameras shooting the details of building Legos in the tiny micro level, as well as catching the grandiose, you know, setups of will and the, the, the brick masters walking around the room and doing all these check-ins. And, and it's, it is a, to me, perhaps out of all the shows I've done, the most meticulous 
uh, show because not only is it a process show, it's also an entertainment show filled with comedy and comedy being the hardest thing to do in, in editing. And, uh, and it's, it's a, it is a Herculean effort to put together Lego masters. You have Will Arnett, who's the host and obviously very, very funny guy, but how much of what, what are the, what do writers do on this show? Cause there's gotta be writers back there, but is this, is there more than just writing his banter and, 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 and uh, his, his dialogue or is there more planning for the comedy? It's completely planned. Most of it. Um, obviously there's improv. I mean, Will is in, I mean, dude, there is so much, Sarah, I don't know, you know, you've seen it. There's, there could be an entire season of just Will Arnett riffing while doing all these things that are bombastic and hilarious and it, it just could go on. I wish the streamers, if they ever did listen, I was pitching Anthony Dominici, our, the incredible showrunner on the show, about the idea that they should really take the streaming version of these and let them be long because there's so much content, it's insane. And there is a writer, and he's awesome, and I'm working with him right now uh, in online. And we, with different scenes that we work on, he'll come in and do He'll upgrade. We'll have Will do ADR or something like, you know, or reread some lines just to make the comedy pop sometimes. But a lot of times it's just the tricks in the editing. And that's really what we do. We work with all the, as you know, the audio. We can make most people, you know, say in very succinct manner what we want them to say. And then at the same time with Will, it's all about, you know, the meticulous timing to get that perfect pause or that perfect drop. But the writer is standing right behind the camera while they're shooting. And his name is Bob. And, uh, uh, and, and I'll have to get you his last name. It's Castillon or something. And then um, he, uh, he basically sits behind the camera writing on a little dry erase board with ideas. And then he and Will will just riff along with Anthony about what else they can do while they're building their Legos. Wow, nice. So Sarah, you've had 10 or 11 cameras recording for a couple of days for a particular build. As an editor, what is the first thing you do to get going on cutting an episode? I guess there's probably multiple editors as we see in the credits. I guess everybody is assigned something, but I, I just, just take us through that process of like, all right, here's the, uh, the, um, you know, we had the one with the, the earthquake with the, uh, the pictures go. here, here's this particular bill that we now have to cut. How do you, how do you even begin to approach something that, that gargantuan? Well, we're very lucky that we have incredible story producers on the show. And so they're kind of the ones that really get into the footage first and kind of, uh, cut out the fat of all the, you know, the stuff that doesn't isn't really going to play and they give us a really great string out uh which is basically kind of like uh, a very very loose rough cut of the story that we're going to tell for an act so usually we'll be assigned an act per ed- uh, per editor at a time and um we'll get a string out which is that loose uh guideline in a way of the direction that we're going for that act And then as an editor, our job is to really finesse that, to make everything land, to find really good supporting uh, footage and scene and really great uh, B-roll and whatnot to bring the scene together. And um, like Carl was saying, you know, with this with this show, not only is it important to see the process of what's happening, but the comedy. And so really bringing out that comedy, making it land, um, finding those gems with, uh, with Will and also just how he interacts with, uh, with the different contestants. Um, I know like this season, 
my favorite contestants were the twins and Will just had the best riffing with those guys. And I really found like a lot of the times when I would be getting scenes with them, it was just, you know, the comedy makes itself. And so I think, uh, while it does seem daunting with how much footage we have and whatnot, because we're not doing it alone, because we have a good story team to help us out, you know, they're mining for sound ups for us. They're, um, you know, just really helping as a team effort to bring this together. Um, Cause there is a lot of footage and there is a lot of times you are finding a needle in a haystack, you know, with all those cameras going on at the same time, there may not always be a camera at the perfect moment on the perfect thing that you need. And so, you know, there is a lot of trying to find everything you need to represent what you're trying to show in the story. I'll add to what Sarah said. The one, the unsung heroes of, of reality is, are the story teams. Why they aren't unionized. I'll never know. They burn the midnight oil and basically pull together all the nuggets for us so that we get in there. It's pretty much teed up. There are shows where the editors will comb through all the footage on their own. On a show of this magnitude, a lot of the major shows like this, you have to have a story team that gets through it quick. I assume that they are beginning their work the second a camera shuts off. Well, they get logged. I mean, so all the footage gets in. The AE team, which is also incredible, um, they work, you know, on godly hours, bringing in all this footage and grouping it and then getting it out to the story. People will come in usually about a week and not much, not much, much time before the editors start landing. And by the way, sometimes you'll get on a show. I don't know if have you ever done reality, Scott. Uh, I've done I have done some more uh, fa- family family musical reality, as in you know families doing music together and um, cameras following them around. Yeah, oh, that's cool. Yeah, we did a show called Pitch Slapped. That was a musical show like that. It's pretty pretty intense. What's interesting is um, you'll get some editors. Editors are so different in reality. Some people don't want a string. Sarah, you know, we know some people are like that. Yeah. And then I immediately am the guy to raise my hand. No, I really like a string. I like a tight string. I like and I like to have someone tee it up because there's so much to do. And the, the if we if you have faith in your story department, which you do, and then you can you can count on the fact that you're going to be given something great. And uh, especially when you get the veterans who who just been doing this forever, and they make you look. They I like it when they make us look better than who we are. Yeah. <laughs> That's always helpful. Or is is the story department? Are they on set making notes as as it's being shot, or do they literally have to watch everything from scratch? They watch everything. They they there's there's a team. What do you what is it, Sarah? On this one, do you know? Is it? It's really one story person. Yeah, each episode had a story producer and then associate producer. That was the associate producer was really helping kind of mine for the really difficult things to, you know, the needle in the haystack sort of situations. I guess often you have contestants that are possibly not the most dynamic people on camera. Now, I'm sure that they cast the show for uh, camera presence, but what happens when you have someone who's not all that good on camera, but yet, you know, you can't go through a whole season and not focus on on somebody you know, that, that's in, in the show itself. Are there instances where uh, you have to f- fake the, uh, you know, the, the personalities of some of these folks? The short of it is, yes, you fake it a lot. I mean, I'll, I'll uh, pulling back the curtain here, but in, in my, ter- my opinion of reality TV is that it has to be entertaining. And so my, my thought is, is in general, is you cut to make the best, most entertaining 
you know, medium that you can, the, the story has got to be entertaining. And if that's making a character who in real life is a dud, amazing, we will do our best. Now, if they give us nothing, then they fall on their sword because you can't help them, you know, too much. I'd say, you know, when you've got a character that uh, maybe is low in personality or low in energy, there's definitely a lot of mining to find the moments where they're coming out of their shell the most to kind of make them likable or make them someone that you're rooting for. Um, and sometimes if a character is sort of quiet and whatnot, you, like sometimes it's that awkwardness that plays into the humor, you know, uh, sometimes, you know, someone who's a, a person, a few words that can make them an interesting character if you play it right. Um, but yeah, definitely, uh, you know, when you've got a character, when you've got characters that are high energy, really entertaining, you know, it's it's very easy to lean into them to an in interview and stuff because they're the ones that are going to be entertaining naturally. But like you said, Scott, you don't want people to just completely fall off the map because you are never hearing from them. And so when we do really need to hear from characters and keep them alive, it's really just finding those moments and where they're showing that little sparkle, that little bit of personality that's going to make them jump off the page as much or off the screen as much as they can. Uh, but, you know, you're working with the parameters of, you know, you're never going to be able to make someone who's has very, very li- low energy or very li- little personality become, you know, the star uh, that ever, you know, but you do what you can and, you know, music and cut it. And, you know, the way that we cut things together can definitely help, give them some energy and give them some life. Are there auditions American Idol style for people to come, to come on Lego masters? You know, this is, this is a great casting question and our casting director, I believe is Allison Kaz. I would have to verify that she's amazing by the way. I've done a lot of things with her shows that she brings on casts that are unforgettable. Um, they, I believe take submissions and through their own like audit, like a little submission tape they'll, they'll submit and then they get sifted through and casting. And basically, you're right. It goes through skill sets. It goes through evaluations. It goes through um, vetting that uh, basically cr- checks off all the boxes that the network wants for that particular series. This one, and, and then you may have noticed this season. I'm curious. Does the cast differ to you this season than last? It does, but I can't pinpoint if I like one better than the than the other. Um, I, I think that both of them have have a nice diversity to them, and I don't just mean like racially or, or, or in, in gender. It just feels like there's lots of people picked from all kinds of different you know places around ar- around the country. That no nobody is is like you know the ringer. Even though each season it seems like there's maybe one or two teams that seem to be the ringer because they get on there, they just build so much better than everybody else. But I think as a viewer, I'm often rooting for the ones that aren't these, you know, quote unquote master builders. I'm seeing I'm like the one, um, well, the ones that, that built the, uh, I think it was two weeks ago, or maybe it was last week when we record this, this they built the hot air balloon. And while it wasn't super detailed, I thought that's that seems like the perfect thing for the for the hanging challenge because it, it, it just, it's, it seems to fit so well with what, what they had to do there. And it was so, right. it was big and cool, even though it wasn't the fanciest thing. It just, it, that one felt to me like it was a good it was a good build, but again, I'm not the, I'm not the judge. And I guess that's part of the fun of a show like this is, you know, your root, your, your people you root for gets kicked off and then you're mad and you come back and watch it again. And, uh, <laughs> it's kind of the, um, the whole thing. Um, 
Yeah, it's that dramatic moment where they get, the person you're rooting for gets kicked off a reality show and you talk about it the next day and the next week. They were so wrong to let them go. They should have really given another chance. Friendly competition. Uh, one thing was mentioned was about the, uh, the the comments. And Sarah, you make a comment on this one is how does the the commentary from the contestants, how does that get done? Because you'll be watching the show, they're in the middle of a build and you cut to the contestants commenting on what they've been doing or what someone else is doing. Sometimes in there in the same clothes of, the, of that episode, other times they're in different clothes. <laughs> But we know that you're not recording for 12 hours straight. So my question about, hey, do they pause the timer and let them go back and answer the, the questions? Or how, how does that get get worked into the into the whole thing? And it's it's the changing of the clothes that is, I think, kind of the uh, the, the thing that throws me sometimes. because You know, they've got interview days and whatnot and interview times scheduled for when um, the contestants are interviewed about um, the episode and about what happened that day. And so, you know, the producers have a list of questions that they, you know, knew they were going to ask them and then questions that based on, you know, what happened that day, they want to hear about um, for them to comment on stuff uh, that happened. And so um, it's not like, you know, there are things called uh, ITMs in the moments or OTFs and whatnot that are kind of on the spot where they're interviewing them in the moment while they're standing there over their build. But generally those like set up looking interviews are, are shot at a separate time uh, with a whole list of questions, basically to just sum up commenting on everything that happened. Will the story producers take those, those setup interviews after the fact, will they do another pass through those? Cause you've, you've already got a, a, a string out, I think, or possibly from, from the actual shoot on the set itself of the build, but will they take another pass through those, uh, those, those interview interview sessions as well? Yeah, they help look through those interviews. And then we also have um, what's called script sync, which is like an amazing tool that we can use in Avid. All the interviews have been transcribed. And so we can just sort of look up the type of stuff we're looking for. And it really helps us to find the questions and the answers that we're looking for. That's a great uh, technical point because a lot of people think script sync for Avid, you know, it's, it's mostly known, I think, a lot more for, uh, for narrative feature films when you have a script and you have that script has been shot and it's a perfect tool to be able to work from a script. I've used it in the past for interviews that are transcribed. It's great for that. But you mentioned transcription. I can imagine for something like a script sync and even phrase find, if you got to search out a specific word, mm-hmm. being able to textually, is that, is that a word textually? <laughs> to textually go in and find what you're looking for without having to search for the sound or, you know, relentlessly scrub through hours and hours of, of picture. Both those tools have to be, have, have to have like really made the process a lot more pleasant to edit something like this. It's, it's critical to have script sync. I've done a show. We've done some shows, Sarah, where you didn't have script sync. Oh yeah. If I were listening to this show, I'd love to hear someone comment about Frankenbiting. One of the you've heard of that phrase as well. Oh yes, I'm, I'm going on my bullet point list, and that one is um, that one's coming up because I do a lot of Frankenbiting. Uh, corporate work surprisingly often has a lot of Frankenbiting because yeah. the powers that be, the executives, need a specific thing said, and sometimes they don't say it, or the people they have you interview don't say it, and they're shocked that they didn't say this thing that they swore that they that they would say. But um, right. 
Well, let's talk about Frankenbinding because it, yes, that is taking syllables and words and building sentences and words out of syllables and uh, just basically making someone say something that they didn't say is what it kind of comes, comes down to. Right. I did an interview one time for a, a post and I, well, biggest loser uh, sat with me and they wouldn't, and I can say this now, uh, Dana, <laughs> She'll, she'll love this. Um, uh, I wasn't allowed to talk about Frankenbiting, and I was like, because it is a it is a craft that is you know it, it kind of like some people think it could take the moral compass off of of what we're doing, and and the truth is is that it, you have so much time to tell a story, and no one speaks concisely. Like we're going to edit this uh, thing because you want to fit it in a ter- certain time. So Frankenbiting and obviously cutting down bites and cutting down things, but getting down to Frankenbiting is to get so that thought out succinctly and clearly and be able to get going. And yes, to tell story. That's the one thing that you sometimes want to do is basically craft a story. I mean, not, not, I'm not specifically talking about Lego masters right now, but I remember back when you're doing dramatic stuff, uh, like with biggest loser, uh, Sarah and I both go way back and worked on, um, and this is a, I think a funny thing is that we, one time we had this contestant on the show and he was going to be the, the, no one ever said it overtly, but he became the bad guy of the series. The person you watch and you want to watch because he's going, he's going up against everyone else. And, you know, like with survivor, any of them, you have a character that's sort of the villain. Um, and so we painted him and we threw Frankenbiting and through things to, to make him the guy that people want to watch, but don't want to win. And, uh, we even gave him a nickname called the Godfather. And then by the end of the series, um, I, we went to a rap party and he was there and I even said to him, I said, Hey man, I go, were you upset that we know you got kind of painted as the villain? And he goes, no way, man. I loved it. (laughs) And I was like, that's a contestant. I like, he loved what we did. He was like, I'm like, he goes, "I'm, I'm like a hero in my town now. Like this, don't mess with me. I would think most people coming on reality shows are okay with a little bit of manipulation of what, of what goes on. And they, you know, they feels like you got to have a pretty big personality to be, you know, successful on a reality show. Here's my rule in terms of cast for TV. If you're going to be on a reality show and you're a good person, you will only be portrayed as a good person. (laughs) If you come on and you are not, and maybe you're not aware of that, it only gets enhanced because when you shorten the duration to a smaller, you know, time, 43 minutes, suddenly all those bad actions get kind of pushed together and someone may not like that reflection of themselves. And um, but it's not due to our manipulation. Mostly it's not. I mean, I, I mean, I've never made somebody say something that they did not really say, but contextually I'll, I'll will enhance it and make it more concise. I think that may be a misconception about Frankenbinding a little bit is because when people hear that term, they assume that, oh, the editor is making the person say something that they didn't say. And I know there's been some reality show controversies over the years about just that type of thing, but more likely than not, it is making the person say something in a much more concise and not just necessarily, not necessarily concise, but just a more an easier to understand manner, which which may be more concise. But that's that's the sort of the gem of Frankenbinding that you can do that kind of stuff. Would you is, is that a fair assessment, Sarah? No, I agree. I think on the whole, Frankenbinding is a great tool to make something succinct, make sense, get it out in a short in a quick period of time. You know, because if you really if you listen to an interview in its raw form, you would fall asleep. And somebody might be get maybe expressing the what you want them to say, but the way that they're saying it is long winded, is not is not clear. 
And so we're able to, through the magic of editing, make a sentence that was a run-on sentence that doesn't make sense become a concise sentence that is exactly what you wanted them to say. And it's not that we're putting words in their mouth. It's that we're in a way helping them out and making them say what they wanted to say the way they had intended to say it. And sometimes it's putting two thoughts together of, you know, they were talking about a certain thing in one part of the interview and then brought it back around at a later part of the interview. And so we're kind of taking those thoughts and putting them together into one sentence that gets our point across. And it often makes them seem a whole lot smarter, which is, you know, again, what editing does. We, 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 uh, help every, we help everybody along in their, uh, in whatever it is that they are doing on, on the camera. Exactly. And in this show, I want to point out, you know, there was some talk, you know, earlier about villains and all that stuff. Like one of the cool things about Lego masters is, you know, there are no villains. Like it's a positive show. You're, you know, you're rooting for everybody. It's a family show. And so, we're definitely never trying to make anybody look like anything other than, you know, somebody who's talented and funny and somebody that we want to root for. So that's something I love about this show. That is so true. I mean, cause that's exactly right. The show I was referring to needed melodrama and this right. show is all about, you know, it's the competition like with Holy Moly, I kind of put them in the same space you, it is escapism. You're rooting for everybody subconsciously. You want to see everybody win. You may have your favorites, but it's not like you're rooting against anyone. Today's movies and TV shows operate in terabytes. So why do most file sharing providers cap data transfers to a couple of hundred gigs? Modern filmmaking runs on massive files, and massive files calls for massive transfer. Spelled M-A-S-V. Massive is a file sharing solution for those who want to move heavy, uncompressed videos through the cloud without limits. No subscriptions, no complicated IT setups. Massive's pay-as-you-go model is designed to ship big files in record time at 25 cents per gigabyte, and all you need is an internet connection. Sign up for Massive today using massive.io slash AOTF and get 100 gigabytes free towards your transfer. That's Massive. M-A-S-S-I-V-E dot I-O slash A-O-T-F for 100 gigabytes free. Kind of a, well, another question I was going to ask about, um, I think about a lot of competition shows where you do kind of have, you know, a bad guy or some, or there are people you don't like as much as, as other people and not true with Lego Masters. I, I think something like American Ninja Warrior, that's the car you've worked on. It's the same way that you want everybody to succeed and do well, but you know that somebody has to, has to ultimately has to win and somebody has to lose. But I've wondered sometimes with Lego masters, they're all building in the same room. How much sort of interaction do the teams have with each other? Cause there are times when they kind of talk to each other a little bit across the table, but it feels like they're kind of really in their own compartments. But I think about if I was doing this, it would be hard for me to not look over and want to talk to the other people and, and mosey over and check in with them or, you know, or just sort of be, you'll be more friendly with them. But I guess that's not, you only have so much time to build. So maybe they don't do that. It's kind of a mix. I think, I mean, in the, the, what I understand because you don't see this in the footage is that they bond intensely. Um, You don't see this in the exits quite often, but when they, when somebody disappears from when they get, sorry, disappears, when somebody gets um, eliminated, they have these grandiose hugs and tears and people are bonding so they are definitely communicating uh, in between, you know, either the shoot days and as well as when they're on set. But you're right. Due to the time constraints, they aren't being able to intermingle much. They do have fun, though. I mean, we'll make them all talk to each other. 
I think um, it comes across at the end when someone gets eliminated. It does come across that they are that they know each other well, or they have definitely bonded over um, over the experience. So I think that I think you do that successfully at the uh, at the end. They put a little the little mini figs down. <laughs> yeah, I think all the all the contestants on this show view themselves as a family, and they view everything as just healthy competition. But they're all very supportive of each other, which is great. And you know, Will Will pl- Will does play up some of the competition for humor. You know, between some of the characters that have he's built these you know rivalries for humor throughout the throughout the season and whatnot. But uh, in general, they're all really good friends, and you know, there's tears when people are going home, and that's all very genuine. The one thing I really love about the show, Sarah, is, is, along with what Sarah was saying, is that people really. I think that the the fact that the contestants are having so much fun on screen and that the show is meta. I mean, have you, we haven't talked about that where we make mm-hmm. fun of ourselves. We poke fun of the format constantly. So it doesn't take itself too seriously. And that I think is what bonds everybody because we're just, ultimately, they really are there having fun. I mean, that's no joke. It's not like they're viciously trying to beat the other person building Legos, but it's, it is completely a, a, I don't know, just a, a blast being there and having fun, making fun of reality at, sa- at the same time being on a reality show. <laughs> well, I've never seen anybody in and around uh, Legos in general. And I think about, you know, in and out of Lego stores that is not smiling and enjoying themselves. So I think that definitely comes across um, in the show. Let's uh, let's change course for a minute and talk tech because people love tech talk. Uh, right I mentioned the show is cut on, cut on, uh, on, on Avid. I'm wondering about things like, um, are you guys doing uh, putting in temp music? Are you putting in uh, in final music? Does this does it go to a uh, you know composer who does stuff in there? How do, how does the music the music doesn't play a huge part in the show, but it's it's obviously an important part. How how does the music work with the show? So we have a library of music, um, a mixture of music that was composed specifically for Lego Masters, as well as um, a couple of other libraries that we that we use as well. And um, I kind of feel like there's a vibe to Lego. Like there's some of that sort of like, uh, I remember when I first started working on it last season, I was like, oh, this kind of has like an 80s Tron (laughs) meets like. Stranger Things. You know, it kind of has that like cool sort of vibe. But um, but yeah, we have a pretty extensive music library that we use. And uh, music is definitely important because especially when it comes to humor, it's like just crafting moments with music and sound effects is very important to make sure that the humor lands because the show is funny in and of itself. Will's funny. The situations are funny. You know, his interactions with the contestants are funny, but what really drives it home is that music and how you make it land. And we definitely spend a lot of time crafting, you know, using that library music and that music that was um, composed for the show to really just, craft those moments to make sure that we basically take advantage of every moment of humor and just like really hit it home. Cause we really want you to be laughing as much as possible. Or when you're, when you're going through and editing the show, do you have a, you know, do you have a band of, of uh, like reaction shots? Every time I see something, I'm just going to subclip that and possibly come back to that later. How, how do you, sort of make sure you have those little tools you need in, in the uh, editorial as you go along to make those moments land? Or is, do you have assistants going through looking for specific things? Or can you call up a story editor and say, hey, I need this moment. I need this thing to help me you know, make this moment land. Do you have all those options at your disposal? Well, I mean, in terms of 
I, I, Scott, I really want to go back on music real quick. <laughs> I, and, and I'm sorry, I don't know how many reality shows you've you've talked to. This is the first. Oh, I see. Okay, cool. Well, one of the interesting things about reality is that we do all our own sound effects. We do all our own sound design front to back and the music. We score everything. And it's usually the music that will always end uh, up on air. Sometimes in very rare cases, do we go to a composer post a cut, but it ha- it does happen. Maybe once every season, you'll go outward and get a composer to do something special um, some shows like Better Late Than Never, uh, we pulled music from anywhere in the world and then went out, used it, and then went out. It was like shoot and ask questions later. We went out and got the permissions after the fact. And uh, we were trying to, you, you know, basically, and, and, and earlier you are saying, does music play a big part? Actually, I think music in reality is critical, unlike scripted television where there's not a lot of music and, and um, it's very quiet unless it's action or whatever, but it's, or drama. But in this case there's always a bed going on pretty much front to back on reality TV. And that's when this is a technique I think is really important for comedy. Um, For years uh, you used to have a laugh track in scripted shows where it was, you know, filmed in front of a studio audience and the the laugh track would help people cue in that this is funny. Um, But in reality, you don't have that. So what we do, and you'll see it like with any of the, the, it's rare to get comedy reality, but like say, um, uh, Duck Dynasty or whatnot and shows like that, we drop the music and you know that. So it's like you hear the music drop and that's in, in meaning it just disappears to accentuate something somebody said. And then, or you'll use light strings that pluck, just kind of let you know that mood has changed to a lighter thing. And all of this happens uh, to cue in the audience that this is funny and it is light and it's ridiculous. And it's a technique that we all use, a reverse cymbal stop or the wind down where the music goes using the, you know, the audio suite tool. And um, and that, those are all techniques that we use in Lego Masters and across the board for all these kind of reality shows that have comedy in it, especially. Yeah, there are sh- shows you'll watch sometimes and it feels like you've watched it for five minutes and there's been like 25 different cuts of music in that in that, in that that five minutes. It sometimes yes. is almost yeah. like, <laughs> could, could they fit any more music into this in between commercial breaks? And the answer sometimes is probably yes. If you really tried, you could. Yes. I remember one time, you know, everyone competes a little at work sometimes and Kevin Finn, a mutual friend of ours, Sarah Scotty and I uh, said he was going to go do this, the tease for us. And he went and cut it. He's a supervising, he's a supervising producer now. And he um, uh, went off and was going to edit his, himself. And he comes back and he gives me a tease that had 11 different songs in a uh, 20 <laughs> second period. And <laughs> he was like, what's wrong with it, Carl? <laughs> that right there is on a, is an achievement for sure. Um, continue on the, on the tech side of things. What about some visual effects stuff? Because you have the glowing brick when the gold brick comes out, you had on the, uh, the Brichter scale when he would dial up, the that is i'm assuming all those are done right in right in the avid is there does each editor kind of find something they want to sort of affect in some way or do you have a, a an effects person that says hey we need the glow here we need something here how, do, how does that work and assuming that's all in avid as well something's funny that you keep bringing up the brichter scale sarah and i both cut that funny enough well there you go she and i did the uh did the challenge on that one and then i th- and then Sarah, take it away. But the glows are definitely done in the Avid for sure. Yeah, the, the glows are done in the Avid, like on the brick, on the golden brick. And usually what will happen is um, someone who's on the first episode will kind of uh, create that little effect. And then we have a, a toolkit where we 
put sort of standardized effects that we want to make sure are consistent across the board. So then that way everybody can take that. And obviously you have to manipulate it to, you know, key in with, you know, your, how your brick is moving across the screen on your episode, but at least it keeps things consistent which is a nice uh, way for us to share things between each other. There's also things like you have the little, when people talk about their builds, you've got the little animated graph paper things. You have the times when often like gigantic, uh, you know, words will pop on the screen to punctuate some comedy. And then when the builds are done, they take certain uh, builds and they like animate almost Lego movie style, little scenes out of those. So, I mean, those things obviously have to go out to a visual effects house. How, how do the, how, what's the determination for who gets one of those scenes or when you, when you do, you know, a bit, uh, some gigantic comedy words or things like that, is that all, does the writer come into play there or is it all just the editor says, Hey, I'd love this here. In terms of the words, I will tell you that a lot of the comedy will come from all different directions. I mean, but the writer doesn't really get involved in that when it comes to gags like that that we do in the avid we'll come up with a method that you know story producer may come up with the idea the editor will come up with the idea someone might and like uh in the for example drama at the very beginning of episode one when he goes we need some drama and it goes lego drama and all those million you know josh young was was a huge he's a he's an amazing he's a super editor on the show as well and he he uh would put in those graphics there I built like the Lego drama thing and we just did that in Avid on sort of a just shooting, you know, just kind of tossing things back and forth, you know, as to what we could do here between editors. And so we would come up with those graphic ideas. Now, what happens next? So we'll mock it up in title tool. And then almost every time we give that to the producers, the producers give it to the graphics house. They farm it out. They bring it back and then we plop in the plop it in polished. Sarah, did you do any of the animation pieces? I didn't do any of them, but I know like how they're done in terms of like, usually if it's going to be like, for example, I know like the derby is about to happen, you know, the, uh, you're placing the shots of what, of where it's going to be cutting to as this sort of 20 second long thing, uh, set to music where you've got the shots of the different derby cars, like, you know, about to like vroom vooming at each other and stuff like that. And all the sound design is created and all that stuff. And that's then given to the graphics house, which then animates that and makes it look, you know, spruces it up. Just like animation, Scott, we do the same thing where we'll lay in the music, lay in the sound effects. Sometimes it's our own voices. Like, you know, I'm, I've, my voice is in the show quite a bit this season, but we do, uh, it's, we do our own voices sometimes and make our own sound effects and we'll pop them into the, like in the Derby, Sarah put together some sound design in that, which is amazing. And then, and then on top of that, my son and I recorded a bunch of Legos we have here smashing against the ground that I looped into the show as well. Cause we wanted that perfect sound and you just get kind of crazy with it. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, it's basically comes from all different directions. I forget where we're going on this. <laughs> you mentioned your son. I think that's kind of a good, uh, you know, maybe we can sort of start wrapping it up on on this thought here because one thing I love watch this with my boys, and it is a we kind of touched on this earlier, but in the world of uh, sometimes questionable family entertainment, I mean, it, even in prime time, you know, especially considering cable and uh, what you can call up on on a streamer with just a click of a button, it's refreshing to see something that is, 
it's, it's, you know, it's wholesome and it's fun. And, you know, it sounds, makes sound like a prude. I love, you know, violence and nudity like the rest of them, you know, in, in a good story, but you know, there are times when you, this is inappropriate and you just want to watch something fun with your, with you, with your family or your in-laws, or you just want something simple and fun yourself. And I think Lego masters really fits the bill for that in a, especially in a, in a summertime session when you don't usually have, there may not be a lot of stuff, you know, to, you know, to, to watch right now. I think, I think it's, it's a testament to the show itself that it, you know, that they, they thought that there was an audience for that and they took the time to, um, to produce it because it, it can't be, I mean, I know a lot of reality is cheap to produce, but this is a pretty big stage. I mean, the Legos aren't cheap. There's gotta be, there's gotta be some bucks spent on this show as opposed to like a cooking show. It's probably the most expensive. Yeah. Now you put it that way. It's probably the most expensive part, you know? <laughs> How much money have I invested in Legos with my kids? My God. <laughs> oh, I said Legos. I'm so sorry. I meant to say Lego. Yeah, no S. <laughs> oh, is it, is it like, technically it's Lego and not um, like, I, I did not know that. Yeah. Lego, I, yeah. I discovered a service. It's called, I think it's called uh, netbricks.biz, if I remember the name correctly. And it's basically Netflix for Legos. And we subscribed just over the summer. And oh, wow. you, you sign up for your uh, your plan. You go in, you put Lego kits in your basket. And they ship them to you, you build them, and then you ship them back, and they'll ship you another one. No way. Oh, that's neat. That's a brilliant idea. I think about when we uh, moved two years ago to a new house, and we had this huge box of Legos. It no longer gets used because, you know, it's such a chore to, to dig through, to to find the pieces, to do, you know, to rebuild what they originally were. They've just ended up in a box. And I thought, let's try this. And the boys love it. They'll just, they'll, they'll build them, they'll play with them and they'll tear them down and you ship them back and they'll ship you another one. It's one of those, like, I should have thought of that. Someone whoever makes a machine to sort Legos after being built is going to make a gajillion dollars. We have two buckets of these things, you know, like giant tubs of these things. Let me throw this at you. All right. Here's my pitch for a, for a, uh, for a Lego masters challenge. Uh-huh. They should have the sorting challenge for the teams where they <laughs> each get a, just a giant <laughs> bucket of of unsorted Legos. And you know, I talk about being a challenge to make that entertaining, but that's like the eternal struggle for all people that use Legos is the, is the, is the sorting factor once they get all jumbled up. So that, so if, if, if there's a season three, which I really hope there is, same, I expect to Carl, you to pitch that to them as one of the challenges. You got it. I will. I got it. It's on the top <laughs> of the list. <laughs> you know, um, I was going to go back before we wrap up, but it's just something that's kind of important as you just pointed out is that it's such a family show that it is, I've worked on, and Sarah, we've all worked on so many different types of shows. Comedy is rare. Family is super rare. I mean, you only have like a handful of these shows that are like, you know, American Idol or AGT or those kind of shows are definitely family oriented. But then the vast majority of reality is killers, you know, it's unsolved murderers, it's... uh, it's it's like you know, or it's it's some sort of intervention, you know, or cops dating, 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 dating. Yeah, and, and tons of dating, right? And dating can be funny sometimes, and I actually don't mind cutting those. But I do, I actually, I cut, I'll cut anything just in case anyone's, you know, when they listen to this, I don't, I'll cut anything. I'm not a fan of serial killer shows, <laughs> but um, but it's so nice to to work on something like you said to, to be able to show your family and to be done at the end of the day. And at the beginning of COVID, it was such a great time to be able to like, uh, when we, it wasn't a great time. It was a dark time. And it was great to have this show be like this warm hug, as I was saying before, that to, to come upstairs and be able to watch with the family. And uh, um, it's just, I don't know. It's just, it's a real pleasure to work on such a great show. 
and to have that 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 opportunity to do these things instead of people flipping tables, yelling at each other or whatever. This show actually is something that you're proud about and you tell your friends about and you're you you want everyone to know you're on. Yeah, Sarah, where does this show fit into the stuff that you've worked on in in, in the past? Is it uh is is it one of your faves? I mean, of course it's one of your faves. It's your current show. <laughs> How does it fit into the other stuff that you've done? Because it's, like we've talked about, it's different than everything else that's kind of come before it. I've done a lot of competition shows and, you know, the competition shows will range anything from, you know, people who are hardcore competitive that are making enemies with each other and you're playing up the, the drama between people all the way to this range where it's, you know, just positivity, family friendly, but also appeals to people who don't have kids too, you know, um, I think this has definitely been one of my favorite shows because I do love not only the fact that it's got the positive vibe, it's super funny. Uh, I love shows where the people are incredibly talented and creating things that I definitely couldn't create. It, it inspires me. Like I went out and bought myself some Lego during while working on this because I was just kind of like, I want to build something. <laughs> and so I, I really like that. You know, I work on another show that has that same kind of vibe, which is making it, which is another like creating something with the positive family uh, friendly vibe. And like th- these type of shows that are really positive, I kind of feel like the industry is a little bit going in that direction because I think people got burnt out probably on a lot of that negativity type of vibes that a lot of reality shows we're having where it's just cutthroat. And so I think, you know, something that people can watch with their kids or watch, you know, enjoy watching, even if they don't have kids is definitely something that people are enjoying. And I hope that more shows like this come along because, you know, Lego is definitely one of the few that are like that at this point. For sure. I, I just went to Disney World for the first time a few weeks ago. And I think about it, it is the kind of thing where it's it's, it's for children, it's for adults. It, it really is something that kind of is is for everybody. And there's not a lot of things like that, like that in the world anymore. So I think that's uh, it, it's 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 nice to see some of that in uh, in primetime television. So, Carl, Sarah, thanks for sitting down for this chat about Lego Masters. I uh, it's, it's it's entertaining. Everybody I know who's watched it, I know quite a few that people do watch it, love it. So you're doing you're doing fine work there, and it's entertaining the masses. And um, I wish you much luck as the season ends, and hopefully the hopefully a season three comes along. Awesome, dude. Thank you. Thanks for having. Me. Who do you want to win? Oh man. Well, <laughs> oh this is a oh this is a mm. yeah. I think I think the Derby one is on the uh, on the DVR right now. I like that. I can't remember the names. The the married couple. I got a little bit of a soft spot in there. Marie and Philip. Yeah, being married myself. It's like. What a what a what a fun thing to be able to do with your spouse because you don't usually get to do things like that with your with your with your spouse and um so I kind of have a soft spot for them but the guys the guys who uh, the sushi chefs who built the shark and, and the squid you you just look at that and you think to yourself oh my gosh they're but they didn't win that <laughs> challenge I don't I don't have I haven't picked a favorite just yet you don't have a got it that's good that's good keep guessing you have to wait and see there's so many talented people this season so it's like you know. No matter who wins, it's going to be somebody amazing. So it totally is, and I, I one thing I look forward to every week actually is when the you know when the when the show is ending and the people put their minifigs, and then they show next week like what the challenge is going to be because I'm always trying to think about like what would a cool challenge be and other than my awesome sorting challenge, I, I haven't come up with anything. I'm a car guy. I was like, oh, they should do a thing where they build awesome cars, and the derby one is coming up. So um, 
I, I'm looking forward to that one. So you'll dig it. It's good. Thank you for joining us. We'll talk, hopefully talk again soon. Appreciate it, Scott. Thanks so much for having us. Thank you.